Okay, stand for the reading of the word. <laughs> um, Genesis 17, 1 through 8. When Abraham, Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face. And God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into, into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be, to be God to you and to be your offspring after you. And I will give you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all of the land of Canaan for, ev- for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the book of Genesis. We have been traveling uh, through the book of Genesis, and starting in Genesis 1-1 and through each chapter. Now we come to this great chapter in Genesis 16 and 17, a little bit into 18. Kind of the, the highlighting the detail of the Abrahamic covenant. So Lord, there's another part in here that we will see that says that Hagar calls you the God of seeing. What a great characteristic that you are a God who sees. So every person in here, every man, every woman, every child, you see, you know intimately and desire to have a relationship with us. Lord, that desire can come to fruition only through your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I pray today, let us see the glory of the gospel in Genesis chapter 17. Let it propel us to the foot of the cross, to the new covenant, to faith in Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. So we will actually be covering all of Genesis 16, 17, and going into a little bit of 18 as we cover this narrative. What comes to mind when I say Google Maps, GPS, Waze, or Waze. Does anyone know how to correctly pronounce that? Is it Waze or Waze? Waze. Okay, good. Anyways, we, we, we all probably have a, a love-hate relationship with these maps on our phones di- directing us through town and places, don't we? But they really are a great word picture, an illustration of faithful obedience in our walks with the Lord. They really are a good analogy for us in our walks in the Lord. We, we pop in the address... It faithfully pulls it up from all the satellite, all the mapping that it does. It says, hey, we start here, but we want to get here. Here's the route you take. And by faith, we what? We follow the route most of the time, right? We, we, if you're like me, there's some times where you're thinking like, this can't be the right way. This can't be the way to go to get to this place. And we don't agree with the little lady in the, in, you know, voice Siri. I have Siri. And we don't, I even put her on the Australian Siri to try to make her even more believable, right? Uh, but, but there's a lot of times like, no, she's wrong. I know a better and quicker way to get there. So I go off grid, right? 
I go off on my own. And what happens? What happens when I go off on my own? Do I get there quicker? No. It, it, I get more frustrated. It even takes me longer. And this is, this is a great picture of our faith. Uh, God's word, his word is, is our map. It's our GPS, right? And by faith, we believe it. He, he tells us how to have a relationship with him, how to have a relationship with others, how to have a relationship with those who don't know Jesus outside. He, he gives us the map of life. And yet sometimes we can be impatient, even prideful and think, no, Lord, that, that's not the right way to go. You're telling me to go left. I need to go right, right? Who's traveled down this road before? Go ahead and raise your hand. Everybody in here better be raising their hand, right? Yeah, because that's what it is. And so what gets us back on the right track? What gets us back on the right road? It's our faith. It's our faith. It's our obedience in believing that this GPS, the Word of God, will direct and guide and direct us. It's the Lord's GPS, His words, His commands. And so when we follow them and understand them by the power of the Holy Spirit, we will get to the ultimate destination of joy and happiness. Well, this is what we see in Genesis 16 and 17. So, so let's dive right in. First, we see in Genesis 16, we, we see waypoint number one, so to speak, the effects of disbelief and disobedience. We, we see what happens when we go off grid, where we take a right turn instead of a left. Instead of following the Lord's map and directions, we follow our own. Genesis 16.1. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had bore him no children. And she had an Egyptian servant whom she named Hagar. And she, we know that she probably picked up Hagar in Genesis chapter 12 when they journeyed down to uh, Egypt in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. So go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children through her. Now, Genesis 16 is a crazy story. But if you've, if you've been with us over the last, you know, month or so since Genesis chapter 12, you can kind of understand Sarah's reasoning behind this crazy request, right? This crazy request to tell her husband to go marry and sleep with her servant, Hagar. And, and why is it? Because we know that she's late. Oh, no precious. She's late in her 70s. And, and, and she knows that this promise has come to Abraham that, that through you, Abram, you're going to have a, and be the father of a great nation, but it hasn't happened yet. Years have gone by since this promise. And so Sarah, Sarah's thinking like, hey, uh, you know, back then they thought if you were barren as a woman, you were cursed. And that's not any truth to it. That's just what they thought. And, and so she thought, man, I'm, 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 I'm barren. I'm cursed. The Lord's not going to do this through me. So therefore, what I'm going to do is, is help the Lord out with his promise. I'm going to help him out a little bit and make this come to pass. So I know it's going to be through Abram, but maybe it's not through me. Maybe it's through my servant, Hagar. So she tells, again, Abram to take Hagar, marry with her, marry her, sleep with her, so that the Lord's promise might be fulfilled through her. So we can kind of understand, you know, Sarai's heart in this. And again, this culture, um, this was kind of par for the course. This was not out of the norm if a if a, if a, the wife was barren and couldn't bear kids, she would maybe have her husband, the patriarch of the family, uh, get other wives or, or sleep with other, other ladies because the, the primary point was to keep the heritage, to keep the legacy going, to keep the family tree going. And real quick, I want to highlight this because in, in the scriptures, the Bible in no way condones this. 
This is Sarah again going a different direction than God's GPS map. In Genesis um, 2.24, we see that Jesus quotes this verse, that the marriage covenant is always between one man and one woman. Jesus says in Matthew 19, Have you not heard from the beginning God made them male and female? Therefore, a man, singular, shall leave his family and hold fast to his wife, singular, and the two, the man and the woman, not the three, the four, not the sister wives, shall become one flesh, right? The two shall become one flesh. And so since the beginning, Genesis 2.24, where God has ordained marriage covenant in the garden before sin entered, his plan, a man, a woman, come together. It was to them that this family should be fruitful and multiply. So when you see polygamy introduced here, and, and Abram goes with his wife's request, it is not God's plan for us. It always leads to trouble in the Bible, multiple wives. It always leads to suffering and destruction. Solomon was a great example of this. Solomon, there was the peak of, of Israel, the peak of its power, of its prestige. He had a thousand wives and concubines. And it was them that led him astray from the Lord. And then we saw the great fall of Israel. So again, the Bible no way condones what is taking place between Sarai and Abram. And this gives us a principle. What did Abram do? We see in verse 2, Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. That's one of the greatest understatements of all the Bible right there. Does this remind you of a similar situation where a man listened to his wife? He advocated his role and listened to his wife and destruction and suffering came about. It happened in Genesis 3, Genesis 3.17, where Adam listened to his wife Eve and sin entered the world. Genesis 3.17, God goes to Adam and says, why did you listen to your wife? And there's a great principle in here, men. And the principle is not listen to your wife. But here's the principle. Both married men and you who will be. There are going to be a multitude of times over and over and over again that your wife is going to give you some advice and you take it. Because she's going to keep you and the family on the road. She's going to line up. Her advice is going to line up with God's word. There are many times in our marriage where Rita's like, Aaron, you're getting off track. We need to get back on track. On those days, you listen to your wife and you run with her advice. But sometimes there's going to be smaller times, a handful of times where we shouldn't listen to our wives and vice versa. This goes both ways. But here he's just highlighting the husband and wife in the sense that the wife is the one giving the bad advice. And this is one of those times that Abram should have manned up and led his wife and not listen to his wife. You see, this is how Abram should have stepped in and ministered to his wife and led his wife rather than just listen to his wife. He should have came in and said, oh, sweetie, I, I, I see your heart. I, I see that your heart is broken. You're in your, your mid-70s and you haven't borne any children yet and you think this is all your fault, that the promises aren't coming back. It's not your fault. This is the Lord's plan. He's still going to bring this about. We just need to trust in his promises, Sarai. We need, we need to trust in his promises. We don't need to get off course here. We need to understand that God, the Lord, is sovereign. And he's directing our family's paths. He's directing you. He's directing me. 
And so let's not try and control the situation, but let's walk by faith together. That, that's how Abram should have handled the situation with his wife, Sarah. And in situations, again, us now, when we get into these situations where we have a decision and, and, and one of the husband and wife spouses says, hey, we need to get off course. We need to walk away from the promises of God. We need to walk away from the word of God. We need to figure this thing out. We need to help ourselves. Right? Because God helps those who help themselves. No, that's not in the Bible. And we just need to trust in the Lord. We need to, in this instance, Abram needed to lead his wife instead of listen to his wife. Because what happens? Look at verse 3 through 6. Hagar gets pregnant. And then what does she do? She rubs it into Sarai's face. Sarai then blames Abraham for getting Hagar pregnant. You can see Abraham, he's just like confused, right? Uh, who, who's been there in their marriage relationship? Either way, right? Where the wife says, hey, Aaron, you go do this. I'm like, oh, okay, I go do that. And then she says, why'd you do that? I'm like, wait, wait, you just told me to do that, right? Sarai then gets jealous and starts to abuse and bully Hagar. Where Hagar then flees for her life heading back to Egypt. I mean, this is like reality TV right here. I mean, this scene right here, this is something that happens to, or, or should happen to the Kardashians, right? Not to the covenant patriarchal uh, people of God, not to Abram and Sarai. But again, this craziness happens all because a woman tried to control the outcome of the promises of God. Everyone around her was affected, and not in a good way. And not only everyone about back then, but also today. We still feel the effects and see the effects of this decision way back in Genesis 16. We feel the effects today. I came across a, a statement that could be a good summary for this little situation. It says this, better to ask the right road 10 times than to take the wrong road. Better to ask the right road 10 times than to take the wrong road. Sarai took the wrong road. Even though I, I believe her motives were pure, her decisions affect us, as I said, even today. You see, Hagar gave birth to a child named Ishmael, which we'll talk about in a second. But Ishmael became the father of all the Arab nations outside of Israel. And then 600 years after Christ, when Islam would be birthed, they would then start to trace the promise, their heritage, the promised child, back to Ishmael and not Isaac. They considered him, Ishmael, to be the promised one in the line that God would bestow his blessing. And for thousands upon thousands of years, even to this day, there's been hatred, there's been strife, there has been war between the line of Ishmael and the line of Isaac. In fact, Rita and I watched a great movie this, this past week on Netflix called The Angel. And it was talking about this very thing, this, this tension between the nation of, of, of Ishmael's line, Egypt, and Israel. And I was thinking, as I'm watching this, I'm thinking like, this is Genesis chapter 16. The reason why this chaos is happening is because of Genesis 16. And someone deciding to take a right turn when the Lord says take a left turn. Of course, this is of course rare for that our sin would produce thousands of years of pain and suffering. But we still need to take heed to this advice. We still need to learn from this example that we need to follow the Lord in His Word. 
And even when it's taking years for him to bring about his promise, we need to stand firm on this and not try to figure it out ourselves. Because when we do, usually what happens is not only are we late or we it takes us longer, but there's a little ripple effect of suffering. That we, we, we tend to hurt those around us with our sinful decisions. It doesn't work out well. This is what's happening in verses 1 through 6 of Genesis 16. But then we see a, a change. Hagar runs and we see the scene shift. And now the main character that pops up is God ministering to Hagar because she flees. And it's a beautiful picture of the Lord extending grace and bestowing blessing upon Hagar because this is not her fault. She is the victim here. She is the one that has been afflicted from Sarai's sin and rebellion. And so the Lord meets Hagar at this garden spring And the Lord tells her to go back to Abram and Sarai and promise her something. He he promised her, the Lord promised her that that she will have a son and and, and his name will be Ishmael. The the, the name Ishmael literally means the Lord hears. So it's almost as if, you know, you can see Hagar just saying like, man, this is crazy. And she's talking to herself and she's like praying to a God there. We don't know if she knows the Lord yet because she comes from Egypt, but she's praying. But she he names him Ishmael. The Lord hears. The Lord heard Hagar's cries for help. And he promises that they will both be safe. And not only safe, but that that through Ishmael, there's going to be a great nations that are going to come through him. You can see that the Lord meets her and comforts her. We see in verse 12 that that Ishmael now, even though it says the Lord hears his he will be a wild donkey of a man. Calvin described him like a, a warlike man. He will be a, a stubborn man, an independent man, and, and he will be constantly at, at, at war uh, with everyone around him. But that doesn't bring discouragement to Hagar. She, she just hears that you and your son will be safe and he will become a great nation. She hears the promise. She hears the blessing. And look at her response in verse 13. She called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. See, she doesn't even know. She just said, this Lord spoke to her. She called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. And he identifies it as the angel of the Lord, as the Lord. He says, you are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. This is one of the most precious statements in all the Bible. That you are a God of seeing, she says. Hagar believes the Lord believes in his promises, believes what he just told her. Why? Because he met her right where she was at. She had a need and she saw that the Lord saw her need and he entered into that need and he met that need. You are God of seeing. Again, this is an incredible characteristic of our Lord. And and in our lives, that he's a God of seeing. You see, there might be some of you in here today that you feel that maybe life hasn't been fair. You, you might be in a situation like Hagar, not in the, maybe the exact situation, but you've been afflicted. Um, you, you're, you're, you're living your life, you're, you're trying to walk the Lord, and something happens outside of your control that happens upon you, and you're in a trial. You, you're hurting. There's some suffering happening to you. This passage of Scripture should give you comfort should comfort you this morning. Jesus sees you today. He he sees your trial. He sees your suffering. He, He sees you 
and he sees me. Psalm 34, 18 says this, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Is there anyone in here that's crushed in spirit this morning? I know there's a handful of you are. You're crushed. The weight of life is just bearing down on you. It's crushing you. You could barely breathe. And you're crying out. And this Scripture says the Lord sees you. And He hears you. He's close. The Lord is close. He saves. He's, that's the action. He's going to save you. And His timing will be perfect. His timing will be perfect. So the encouragement here is to keep the faith. Keep pressing on into the Lord because He sees you. He knows your exact need. And He will answer it. So this is what we see is in chapter 16. We see uh, Sarai's disbelief and, 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 and disobedience leads to pain and suffering, but the Lord comes in and answers the call and brings blessing to Hagar. So that's signpost or waypoint number one, unless a waypoint number two, the blessing of belief and obedience in Genesis chapter 17. In chapter 17, verse 1, it says this, when Abram was 99 years old. So this is 13 years later than chapter 16. And if we go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, Abram and Sarah, when they first got this promise, they were 75. So now it's 24 years later. 24 years later, the Lord is finally coming to pass and given the exact detail of this covenant coming to pass. He says this, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make a covenant between me and you and multiply you greatly. Verse 3, then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. So for 24 years, Abram has been wondering if this covenant was going to be fulfilled. Again, this is 13 years later um, when he first got his first son, Ishmael. And the Lord, again, just reiterates the covenant promises that he made in Genesis chapter 12. If you're with us, you remember that in Genesis chapter 12, God promised Abram six things. Six things are going to come to pass. Not all of them, but here are some of them. He's going to, you're going to have a great name, Abraham. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to multiply you, make you a great nation. Whoever blesses you, I'm going to bless. Whoever curses you, I'm going to curse. I'm going to give you this land, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then we go to chapter 15 where God kind of brings a little bit more detail to this covenant, what's going to happen. And he says, Abram, you're going to receive this covenant through how? Through faith. And it's your faith and you believing in the promises that's going to bring justification to you. And we also see that he's entering into a covenant of grace where this covenant is solely reliant on God and his graciousness to us. Remember, he cuts up all the animals and God himself walks through them. And he says, hey, I will fulfill both aspects. And if anyone falls apart of sin, I will take on the punishment. And then we, he, he, we see here in Genesis 17, he's adding and leaving a little bit more detail. The sign of the covenant, the sign that you're in the covenant is that you will get circumcised. The men will. And we see the motivation again is belief. In verse 1, it says, Abram, um, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. If you believe that I am God Almighty, then you walk before me. And so when Abram, by faith, again, believes, that, that, believes in God Almighty, he's going to walk before him. And what's that obedience look like? It means that he will go into the sign and, and exercise the sign of circumcision. 
So we see in verse 1, Abraham's responsibility, his obedience is to walk and live blameless, and that we'll see later is, is the obedience of circumcision. Walk in the obedience of faith. And then the Lord highlights the promise again to Abraham that he will multiply his offsprings greatly. Now verse 5 is an awesome transition in all the scripture as well. And anyone that has been teaching Genesis, starting in Genesis 12 to Genesis 5, comes to Genesis 5 because Abram's name is finally changed to Abraham, right? His, his name is, is finally changed from Abram, highly exalted father, daddy, to Abraham, father of multitudes or nations, or big daddy, right? And the reason why this is so awesome is because I already know that those of us who have been teaching, sometimes we say Abram, sometimes we say Abraham. We'll see in verse, I think, 15 of, of, of 20, Sarah gets her name changed as well, from Sarai to Sarah. So finally we see this new identity given to this patriarch couple. Verse 5, no longer shall you be named, be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations, and I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations and kings. He starts to add this, 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 um, this, this verbiage, kings, this royalty language now, that you're going to start to see him say, shall come from you. Verse 7, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offsprings after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. Again, he's just reiterating, giving more detail to that. Then we see in verses 9 through 14, we see the sign. We see the sign of the Abrahamic covenant, and that again is circumcision. Usually, as we've seen already in a couple covenants that we see in creation and also with the Noahic covenant, that, that when God makes a covenant, he also gives us a sign for the covenant so that we know that we're in the covenant. For Noah, what was the sign that God gave Noah of the covenant? What was the sign? The rainbow, right? Yep. When we go to Mount Sinai and he, and he makes a covenant with Moses, what's the sign that he gives Moses? Does anyone know? Sabbath, okay? And then when we come to um, David and makes the Davidic covenant, the sign is what? He gives him a son. And then finally when we come to the new covenant, the covenant that we are under, the sign is now baptism. But here the sign is circumcision. So let me hi- highlight some aspects of, of this sign. First, all the males are to be circumcised on the eighth day. Now, Abraham was 99 years old. Ishmael was 13. There were other grown-up men in the family. And so they all had to get circumcised at their age. And then from there on out, every male baby born on the eighth day would get circumcised. Here's a pretty cool little note. Medically, medically, why eight days? So I'm not sure exactly why eight days, but, but also medically, it's on, it's on the the eighth day that the baby's kind of immune system body is able to really to, to blood clot. And so on the eighth day, if it's on day three, it's a little bit risky. In fact, even today in modern medicine, especially if you do a home birth or something outside of the hospital, they say wait, you know, at least a, a week and a half to two weeks before you circumcise your, your young male. Now, sometimes we do it when we're in the hospital and we're around there at 48 hours, but that's just a neat medical fact. They didn't have hospitals back then like we do. They didn't have all the blood clotting agents that we have today. So it's just the Lord's wisdom and saying, hey, the eighth day, because at that time the baby will be safe when you cut off some skin and bled, the blood will clot. So that's one. So on the eighth day, every male. The second thing to highlight is it's, it's physical and it's permanent. This sign is physical and it's permanent. Now, Noah signed the rainbow. It was physical. You could see it in creation, but it wasn't permanent. It would, it would come and go. This one wouldn't come and go, right? 
this one would stay with, in particular, the men. And it would be a reminder to all the covenant people, both male and female, about the physical and the permanence of this covenant. This was a way to remind them who was in the covenant and who was not. Uh, moms, when they're, they're you know, bathing their little boys, they would see the baby and he'd be circumcised. It would be a reminder that they are the covenant people. Um, you would see that um, little girls in the schoolyard, they would know that, hey, there's some physical differences. Uh, I'm a female. Uh, you know, that, that boy over there, he's a, he's a boy. He's a male. He's different from me. Therefore, there would be a reminder of this physical thing. Even though they're different than me, they're going to be a reminder of, hey, we're in the covenant together. Boys, men, throughout the day when we do men's stuff, when we go to the restroom or we take a shower, we would be reminded that, hey, we are God's covenant people. And when we come together in marriage, a husband and wife, to, to be fruitful and multiply, there would be a reminder there permanently that we are God's covenant people. And then when we get the law, if a, a, some sexual immorality would happen, there would be a physical and permanent reminder there, don't do it. You are God's covenant people. So we see this is part of the sign. It's physical and it's permanent to remind them who they are, the covenant people of God. And then in verse 14, it says this. If any male disobeys this command, they will be cut off from his people and the covenant will be broken. And really it's a play on words here because circumcision literally means cut off. And so what he's saying here, the little play on words is, if you don't get it cut off, you will be cut off, right? That's kind of what's being said here. So we see that in verse 14. So that's the sign of the Abrahamic covenant, the sign of circumcision. Now we come to verse 15 of chapter 17. Again, we see the grace of God given to Sarai. Again, in 16, she rebelled. She went her own way. She disobeyed and disbelieved God's word. And yet God comes in. And again, he, he renames her. Sarai, which means princess. He names Sarah, which also means princess. Again, it's a, it's a new identity for her. She's finally going to receive the blessing. The blessing is not only going to come through Abraham, but it's going to be coming through her. The Lord reassures Abraham this in verse 16. He says, I will bless her and she will bear a son. She will bear a son. Can you imagine the news when she hears the promise of God? She is in her late 70s um, and she's going to bear a son. Actually, even beyond that, she's actually in, I think, 89 at this point where she first hears this. It's going to come to pass. Can you imagine the joy in her heart? And maybe also the doubt. I will bless her and she will bear a son in which the promise will come, the covenant will come, and she's going to bear kings. There's going to be royal royalty coming through her line. And a great nation again will come for her, and ultimately the king of kings will come through her line. And I love Abraham's response, verse 17. But, I mean, try and put yourself in his shoes. Then Abram fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who's a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abram said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, No, not, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. And you shall call his name Isaac. And the covenant will come through him. Now, some commentators believe that this might be a laugh of, of disbelief. And, and I don't think so. I think the majority of commentaries don't think that because there's no rebuke from God. We actually see maybe a little bit of rebuke from God when Sarah, again, hears this news in, in chapter 18. When you look at verses 1 through 15, you have these, these three men that come and visit Abram and Abraham and Sarah. And they said, hey, 
Sarah hears them over talking about how she is going to be the, the mother of this promised child, and then she starts to laugh, but it's a cynical laugh, right? Uh, because, and, and we know it's a cynical laugh because um, when confronted, hey, why are you laughing? She's like, oh, she's, it says she was afraid, and she, was, she wasn't laughing. She, she denies it. So she was lying. She was trying to protect her heart, even though it was cynical. And the Lord says, is there anything too hard for the Lord? But we don't see that here. We don't see a rebuke here. So I don't think it's a, it's, a, it's a laugh of disbelief. I think it's a laugh of just incredible amazement that the Lord is about to do the possible through the impossible. Abram is 100. He's looking at his situation. He's overwhelmed. He's, he's going to be 100 years old. Right? She's going to get pregnant when he's 99. She's going to be 89. So she's going to give birth when she's 90. He's going to be 100. And he's just processing all this information. And it says he falls on his face, which is an act of worship. And he's thinking like, man, this is awesome. I'm going to be 100 years old and I'm going to be a father. And he laughs. Because he's thinking to himself, there are not a lot of gender reveal parties in a nursing home, right? Right? We, we can go down to Pooter Hospital. There are not a lot of 90-year-old women giving birth. And we laugh at that. Why? Because it's, it's, it's funny. It's, it's, it, that's what Abraham says. Like, this is like he, he's, he's taking the impossible and he's making it possible. This is only can happen through the Lord. Causes us to laugh as well because we think this is crazy. Look at your own life. Look at your own life when you had those Red Sea moments. Where, where, where you walked up to a situation and you're like, I, I have nowhere to go. I'm helpless. And yet God comes and answers and opens it up and he walks through. He takes an impossible situation in your life and he makes it possible. This is what he did with Abram. I mean, think about your own salvation. I thought about my salvation. Have you ever sat and thought and then just laughed while thinking about this? It's like, man, I can't believe the Lord saved me. I, I, I just look at my life. I see how I've rebelled and I've run. I've tried to get away. I've tried to get away. And yet he always brings me back. And you laugh. The Lord lavishes and pursues you with his grace, his love and his mercy. I mean, I routinely laugh at myself that the Lord has given me the assignment to be a pastor. And so does my wife. She laughs right along with me about that. And when I ask her, hey, why are you laughing? She doesn't say, oh, I'm sorry. She goes like, because it's funny. That's why, you know. And it is. It's just, it just blows my mind that the impossible becomes possible. But this is the heart of the gospel. That, that the good news is that you and I are more sinful than we, than we know and that we believe and could ever imagine. And yet, by faith in Christ, he, he makes us more acceptable than we could ever dream of. He brings us in to be a part of His covenant and then He uses us to build the kingdom. Our sin that separated us, it was impossible, but He made it possible by sending His Son to live and to die, to raise again. What a Savior we serve. And this is what I think is going on in Abraham's heart. Abraham's heart, he's, he's laughing because he just he, he's overjoyed and overwhelmed with the, the promises of God in his life at the age that he's in. And then we see in verses 22 through 27, this is where we see obedience again come from Abram, Abraham. See, now I'm, I can't get it right now. Jeez. The Lord, in verse 22, the Lord and Abram finished talking. And Abram immediately obeys in verse 23. 
on that very day. He meets with the Lord. The Lord says, hey, this is what you need to do. This is the sign of the covenant. You need to take all the men. You need to take them and circumcise them. It says, on that very day. First time obedience. And the Lord blesses Abraham throughout the years from that. He takes all the males. Ishmael, his son, was 13. Moses again highlights Abraham again was 99 years old. I mean, think about that. Think about the faith. Think about the obedience it takes for a 99-year-old man to be circumcised. I think all the men in here would say amen. Glad it happened with eight days when we were eight days old, if it did. And notice again, the one thing it says is that Abraham was the one during the circumcision. Abraham, he's 99 years old. Think about that, guys. The dexterity of a 99-year-old man in his hand with that knife takes a lot of faith and a lot of obedience, right? But they go through with it. They obey. And what happens? We see the blessing. His obedience throughout the rest of the Old Testament, we see the blessing that is that this little nation that comes from Abram becomes a great nation that we have been covering over and over and over again. But here's the blessing to us today is that we live not under the Abrahamic covenant, but in the new covenant. That's the covenant that we live under. That was promised in Ezekiel and in Jeremiah. It was a covenant not of circumcision of our flesh, but of our inward of our hearts, of those that by faith believe in Jesus. And the sign is not against circumcision, but the sign of the new covenant is baptism. In Hebrews 8.13, it tells us that the old covenant has become obsolete with Christ. The purpose of this covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, was to look forward and anticipate in Christ who has now come. And he is the ultimate king that was promised to Abraham and his, his line and Sarah, his line, that would come from Abraham and he has established a new covenant. And the sign of the new covenant for you and me, the sign of faith is baptism. Now we see, you know, we know that baptism isn't save, save you. It's the, it's the outward expression of the inward reality that you believe that Jesus is the God Almighty, the Savior, the Lord. This is what identifies you and me in the New Covenant community today. Therefore, if you are in here, if you repent of your sins and you've trusted in Christ, you, are, you have entered into the New Covenant. It's your faith that, that declares you righteous. It's your faith in Jesus that declares you justified. And then the first sign of obedience, or one of the first signs of obedience for you is to be baptized. In a couple of weeks, we're going to have a baptism coming up. And, and so if, you, if you're in here and if you're repenting and trusting Christ, but you haven't been baptized yet, yet, that's the next step for you. That's the next commanded step. That's the next direction, the next turn you take via God's command is be baptized. And let it be a sign to those that are coming and watching that they are a sign that you are now a part of the new covenant community. Some of you might have been baptized when you were infants or younger, like I was. And we're, we're Baptists here, so we believe in believer baptism. So we would encourage you to be rebaptized. I was rebaptized, and, and some others have been rebaptized here. So this is the sign of the new covenant community that you and I live under is the baptism. So we would encourage you to be baptized. If you, you want to talk more about that, visit one of the pastors or your life group and, and let us know so we can walk you through that. And just to sum up, I want us to go back to Genesis 17, verse 1, and talk about how this blessing comes through obedience. In Genesis 17, 1, 
It says again, I am God Almighty, walk before me. Notice that it doesn't say, I am God Almighty, walk with me. But what does it say? It says, walk before me. Literally what that means is walk in front of my face, the Lord is saying. Walk in a way that I see you. Do everything that I command you in the Scripture. The motivation is that that you're under Jesus. You recognize me as the Lord God Almighty. Therefore, that elicits a response to you, and that is to walk in holiness before the Lord. Be aware that every second of your life is being watched by God. He Remember, he's a God of seeing. He, he's seeing you walk before him. Realize that nothing you do is outside of his view. And let that be a motivator. Now, we all know that it's easy to slip into extended periods of, of living life with, without having this in our minds, right? We, we can be forgetful that the Lord is not seeing our every move, that we're walking before Him. We can just kind of go off the road and do our own thing. Get us off track. But when we walk with a reminder, if we, if we begin every day with this, word, with this verse, man, you wake up, He's like, the Lord is the God of seeing. And He's calling me to walk before Him. If we begin with that motivation, it's going gonna, it's gonna to help direct us to stay on the path that the Lord has called us to. And so let this verse guide us this week. Let this verse guide us this week that, that I am God Almighty, walk before me. I am a God of seeing, therefore walk before me and be blameless. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this text. Oh, it's a beautiful text because it's filled with, with your grace. It's filled with you being faithful to your promises even when we are faithless, even when Abram and Sarah are faithless, you're faithful. Faithful to a servant like Hagar. And throughout the centuries, we see that you are faithful to your covenant people, even when we rebel. Lord, that should cause a rejoicing in our hearts. And that we understand that we are now under the new covenant. We have more information, more understanding. We have your full word, which Abraham and Sarah didn't have. And it points us to the God of seeing, the man, Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. And because of the GPS system that we have in your word, because of your spirit that indwells us and empowers us, because of your church, And because of your word that informs us, Lord, that we can walk before you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.